Normally at this time, I ask you to open up your Bibles, but I don't want you to do that yet. Because I want you to sit and listen first uh, to the stories that we're going to hear out of Mark. So we're in Mark, but don't go there yet. Because I want to read these stories to you. And I just want you to sit there and listen, because these are the sort of stories, uh, true stories, that we need to hear uh, in times of trouble. Right? And I know we've got trouble. Uh, and these are the sort of stories that we need to hear when we wonder, does Jesus have uh, enough power to take care of the problems that I'm going through? Um, and the sort of stories that we need to hear when we ask the question, well, does Jesus even care about the problems that I'm going through? So just sit back for now and listen to uh, these two stories from the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and 5. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who'd had the legion, sitting there clothed and, in his, uh, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you've got a pew Bible in front of you, that's page 676, Mark 4, 35. 
We're going to study these two stories today. Uh, these two stories, we're going to look at them together. They span across two chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5, but they really go together. They cover the same trip across the Sea of Galilee from one side to the other, from the, from the west side to the east side. Uh, but really these stories go together because they're both stories about the incredible, awesome power of Jesus uh, over two different kinds of storms. Uh, the first story uh, is the story of Jesus showing his awesome power over a natural storm, over wind and waves on the Sea of Galilee. But then there's a second story about him showing his awesome power over a supernatural storm, this storm that's raging inside of a person, and the awesome power he has to conquer that. And as we look at these stories together, what I hope we'll see is that Jesus has um, unmatched power, that there's nothing that is too great for him to handle. And the real question for us as we encounter this Jesus who has such great power is do we respond to him with fear or with faith? So with that, let's just jump right in uh, to the first story. Is there something going on weird with the microphone? It just feels a little weird. Is it, does it sound right to you guys? Can you hear me? Okay, good. All right, pardon the interruption. Okay, first story, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus and the natural storm. Uh, this story is really uh, easy to outline because there's three sections, uh, and they all start with the word, or they're all keyed off of the word great. Uh, so the story of the storm, there's first a great storm, then it's followed by a great calm, which is then followed by a great fear. So that's where we're going. Uh, but it starts with this great storm. Uh, in verses 35 through 37, you see that Jesus has finished teaching. You know, the last couple of weeks we've been studying the parables, and he's been teaching parables to folks. Well, he's finished that, wrapped it up for the day. He says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the sea. Uh, so they get in the boat, and they travel across the Sea of Galilee, going from the west side of the sea to the east. And they're traveling in a boat, and I did a little research uh, for us because we don't really have a concept of what kind of boat is he in. So we don't, we don't know exactly the dimensions of the boat he was in, but we've, people have found boats from about that time period in that area. Uh, and the dimensions of boats like that, kind of fishing vessels, uh, would have been about 26 and a half feet long. So like from the front pew to about, you know, back where Warren's sitting. Okay, so that's pretty sizable boat, about 26 and a half feet long, about seven and a half feet wide, so a little wider than our, our aisle, at a couple feet to the side, and about four and a half feet uh, deep. Okay? So that's about the size of the, this boat that we're talking about. So they're in this boat, they all get together, and they're going across the boat, but then in verse 37 it says that a great windstorm arose. It was pretty common on the Sea of Galilee for storms to happen, because uh, geographically it's, it's below sea level, and there's also raised hills and mountains on the outside, so it's like a basin. And a meteorologist will tell you if you've got a situation like that, you've got the, uh, the uh, warm air coming up off of the sea and the cold air coming down off of the mountains. They would meet each other and they would form these great storms. Uh, but this wasn't even a typical storm. This was what's called a great windstorm. And it suddenly hits and the waves are so strong and so high that it's filling the boat coming over this, you know, this four and a half foot deep boat, and it's filling it up, and the boat is getting swamped. Okay? So this is a, it's a great storm. It's a really dangerous situation. Uh, I've never been in a situation like this. When I go out in boats, I generally uh, go in boats that have motors. 
<clears throat> so if the situation gets bad, you turn on the motor and you go back. All right, we've got life jackets, we've got cell phones and GPS. You know, we try to keep safe out on the water. But these guys, if the boat is going down, so are they. Okay? This, is a, this is a life and death serious situation. Giant storm is hit. They're going under. They're perishing. Um, so the disciples naturally get pretty nervous. Uh, but Jesus, in the midst of this great storm, uh, is calm. And he brings calm. So second point on your outline there, Jesus brought great calm. So keep on reading in verses 38 and 39. We see that he's in the stern. For those of you who are not nautically inclined, that's in the back of the boat. And yes, I'll confess, I had to look that up. So he's in the stern. I, I thought it was the back, but I just wanted to make sure. Uh, so he's in the back of the boat. Um, and it says he's in the stern. He's asleep on the cushion. But they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So he's sleeping in the back of the boat. The disciples are freaking out. And this tells you how serious the storm is because some of these guys are experienced fishermen. And so they would have been through a number of storms on this sea. But they're concerned. They say, we're going to die. And they go back and they try to wake up Jesus say, Don't you care that we are perishing? Now, I don't know what they were expecting him to do. They certainly weren't expecting him to do what he did. I, I don't know if they thought, you know, well, we've been around Jesus. He seems to have a pretty direct line to God. Maybe if we wake him up, then he'll pray, and maybe God will deliver us from the storm, or God will take care of us. Um, maybe they just thought that, because that's what normally happened. You know, when people, even people who were prophets or, you know, like had God's special attention, what they would usually do is they would pray to God, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, for example. He, he's doing this uh, showdown with the prophets of Baal, and he doesn't just command fire to come from heaven. He prays to God and asks God, would you bring fire from heaven? And God does that in response to Elijah. So that's kind of the normal mode of things. So maybe the disciples thought, well, if we just wake up Jesus and he can pray for us, then God would hear that prayer and we'd be spared from this disaster. But Jesus gets up and he does something totally unexpected. He just stands up and he talks to the wind and to the waves. These things that have no ears to hear him or any brain to comprehend a command he might give, he just stands up and he says a couple words. He says, peace, or be calm, and be still. You know, that, that word, uh, be still, that's the word you would use to, to talk about muzzling uh, a dog. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the word, just be muzzled, be quiet, like a, a yapping dog. You wrap some rope around it and it just shuts up because it can't talk anymore sort of command that you'd give to a dog or to a young child when they're just, you know, they're out of control and you say, would you just be quiet? But when I say that to a dog or a young child, they don't really listen to me, which is a sign of my authority or command over them. But Jesus stands up and he says this to the wind and to the waves. He says, be quiet, be muzzled, and instantly there's a great calm. Verse 39, the wind ceased. So the storm that came on suddenly, even more suddenly, ends... And the waves that were a second ago coming over the side of the boat are now tranquil. This is the sort of power that Jesus has. In the face of the storm, he stays calm and he brings a great calm. Now, the, the funny thing, if you're, if you're reading the story carefully, um, you realize it's, it's after this point that the disciples really get afraid. Um, you notice that the disciples feel great fear. Um, in verse 40, Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And, and then, 
Verse 41, Then they were filled with a great fear. And they said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So there's a couple fears going on here. Obviously, they're afraid, first of all, uh, in the midst of the storm. They go up to Jesus, they're panicked, and they're, they're afraid for their lives. Uh, but then, after Jesus stills the storm, and there's no more, there's no more threat to their life from, from nature, from, the, from the, the wind and the waves, they're, they're safe from that. After that, then they fear a great fear. So, so it's, it's like the storm scared them, but Jesus terrified them. And they're terrified because they realize that he is far more than what they called him in verse 38. In verse 38, they said, Teacher, teacher, wake up, we're perishing. Okay, you don't really have to be afraid of a teacher. A teacher could fail you. That's about it. But you should be afraid, or at least they were afraid, of encountering a person who's got the power to stop a storm with a word. It's like they're starting to wake up to the fact that this person they're following around is far more than just a great teacher. He's doing, in fact, the sort of thing that only God can do. And the disciples, I think, were realizing that this Jesus they were hanging out with had the potential to be a far greater threat to them than any storm they could encounter. Because Jesus, with the power to still the storm with a word, what could he do to them? See, they were afraid. But Jesus doesn't really want them to be afraid. Okay, notice that? Number four on your outline there. Instead of fear, Jesus expects faith. In verse 40, he asked them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? There's, there's some expectation in that question he's asking there, right? He's saying, have you still no faith? As if you should have faith by now. You should have seen enough, you should have experienced enough about me to have faith. It's surprising to me, Jesus says, that you don't have faith yet. Now remember, there's, there's a couple parts to faith. Part of faith is recognizing that Jesus has the power to do all these things. But another part of faith is recognizing that, that Jesus loves them and he's going to use that power for good. Right? The disciples should have seen both of those things so far. It's been on display from the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus has great power. He's gone throughout uh, the countryside. He's healed people. He's caused paralyzed people to walk again. He's, um, he's, uh, he's cast out demons. You know, All the sick and uh, just thousands of people have come to him. The disciples have witnessed him healing person after person after person. He's got incredible power. And they've also seen that as all these people have come to him, Jesus has been using his power for good to heal people, to liberate people, to bring the beautiful kingdom of God in this world. So the disciples have this evidence. They should have seen that this God, this Jesus, has all this power and that he consistently uses it for good, but they still haven't figured that out. They're still afraid. They recognize now he's got great power, but they're still in their hearts asking that question, Teacher, do you, do you care? Do you care that we're perishing? Because now I see that you could, you could kill me by looking at me, and I'm kind of afraid. See, if you're not sure about the love of Jesus for you, then encountering his power should scare you. 
That's just the warm-up story. Jesus stills a natural storm, but there's a bigger one on the horizon. Let's go ahead and look in chapter 5 then at this supernatural storm. Chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes. So they were on the Sea of Galilee, they were on the west side, and now they've traveled across the sea, they're on the east side, now they're in Gentile country. Uh, and And they get out of the boat, just having stilled this natural storm, and a supernatural storm comes charging at Jesus. And this, this, make no mistake, this was a great storm too. Okay. Um, we'll see how great in verses 2 through 5, uh, where it says, When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. This guy lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, and night and day he was among the tombs on the mountains, cutting himself and crying out. So this is, this is the situation. There's a great storm that's going on in this man. Okay? It's not a physical storm like with wind and rain that you can see, but there's a supernatural storm raging inside this guy that's manifesting itself in outward things. Uh, and, and it's a storm with great power. Verses 3 and 4, a couple times it says that no one could bind him anymore. So there were folks who were afraid of him and they wanted to, uh, to chain him up because he was dangerous. But this man was so strong that even though he'd been bound many times, not a fluke, many times they'd bound him with chains and shackles and he would just bust them off. So no one could bind him. At the end of verse, uh, verse 4, it says, no one has the strength to subdue him. Okay? World's strongest man, right here. Nobody can be stronger than this guy. Nobody can lock him up. He'll bust out of every chain. It's a great power. But it's also a very destructive power that's going on inside of him. It's a demonic power. And it's turning this man into someone who is subhuman. Okay, it's destroying his very uh, image of God inside of him. He's, making, he's turning this man into someone who is less than a man. Um, we see this in a couple ways. In verse 3, it says, first of all, this guy is living among the tombs. So these tombs would be in these mountainsides that, that surround the, the Sea of Galilee. There would be caves, and people would, would take the bones of their, uh, of their dead ones, um, and they would put them in the caves, and you would, you know, there would be room for many bones. And so these would just be these caves where there's all these bones in them, uh, these tombs. And, and this man lived in those caves, okay? living with these dead, decomposing bodies. Like this is his home. It's not where normal people live. He was also completely out of control. People often tried to bind him, so that tells us that he was either a danger to himself and probably also to other people, that folks said, we need to lock him up so he doesn't hurt anybody. And then the saddest thing, the sad verse here in verse 5, says he's, he's day and night, hanging out in these tombs by himself in the mountain, and he's crying out, and he's cutting himself with stones. This is a guy who has lost his humanity. He's, he's being destroyed by these demons, and there's this great and serious storm that's happening inside of him that's destroying him. So we've got another great storm. But just like before, in the midst of the storm, Jesus remains calm, and he brings calm. So Jesus brought great calm again. 
Jesus gets out of the boat in verse 2, and it says, immediately there met him this man. Uh, then again in verse 6, it picks it up. It says, this man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran to him. So Jesus gets out of the boat. The disciples, they just come through this long, uh, you know, arduous journey across the sea with the storm. They've been scared, and they're, they're finally hoping maybe we get some relief and some rest. We'll just get out on the shore. We'll relax. Jesus steps out of the boat, and immediately this crazy naked guy from the tombs sees him from far off, and he just starts running at him. Right? So I hope the disciples learned a little courage from the storm story, because I'm thinking they see the crazy naked strong guy running towards them from afar, and they're like, Jesus, we're going to be waiting in the boat, and we might just be pushing off a little bit and get a little head start so that you can, you can come with us, but we'll just be back here, and we'll just let you handle the, this guy who's running at us, from far off, he looks kind of scary. We're just not sure how this is going to go down. So they're, they're probably waiting. I'm reading a little bit into it, but I, I think it's probably true. But Jesus, it says Jesus, Jesus just, just stands there, right? He's not scared. This is the equivalent of him sleeping in the stern during the storm. He just stands there while this guy comes running at him from far off. So he's got a long time to anticipate this. He's not taken by surprise. He sees the guy running towards him, and he just waits for him. Now, but when the guy shows up, you might be thinking, the disciple is certainly thinking, he's going to attack, there's going to be a fight, there's going to be some sort of struggle, I hope Jesus can win. There's not a fight at all. Okay, this is important. There's not even a struggle. This man, who is stronger than all other people, no one can bind him. He comes running towards Jesus, not to attack, but to surrender. Because he recognizes immediately that there is no contest between him and Jesus. In verse 6, he runs to Jesus and he just falls down before him. Some of your translations translate that word as worship because it's a posture of worship and surrender. He just falls down on his face right in front of Jesus. And the only thing he says is, please don't hurt me. There's no challenge here. There's no, let's, let's get this on, let's have a fight, I'm going to take you out. It's just, Jesus, you are the son of the most high God. I'm begging you, please don't torture me. Complete submission. Complete imbalance between the power levels here. And the demoniac, this guy who's possessed by the demons, he recognizes that. In verse 7, we finally get the answer to the question the disciples asked back in chapter 4, verse 31. They said, who is this that can still the storm uh, with his words? Who, who, who could do such a thing? Well, the demon-possessed man, he recognizes right off the bat Chapter 5, verse 7, it's Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. He's got complete, absolute power. So Jesus continues the conversation with the man, and he asks him, well, first of all, he tells him to come out, and then he asks him, what is your name? Verse 9, what is your name? The demon-possessed man replies, my name is Legion, for we're many. This is probably a reference to the Roman legion. Like it's, a, it's a unit of the Roman army, which would be about 5,000 or 6,000 people strong. And, and I don't know if he's specifically saying there's five or 6,000 of us in this man, but he's certainly saying there's a whole lot of us in here. There's more than just one demon possessing this person, probably closer to thousands than to dozens. There's a huge storm raging inside of this guy, and yet even here, it's not said as a threat. Like, Jesus, there's only one of you, and there's thousands of us, so you better watch out. No, he says, there's thousands of us, and then he just goes right on begging him not to hurt him. He says, please, don't, uh, verse 10, he begged him earnestly, don't send us out of the country. 
And he says, send us in the pigs. Right, there's a confusing part. What, what's with these pigs? There's, there's a number of explanations that people have given. Uh, I think the best one is this. Um, this seems to just be continuing uh, this, this exploration of, of the powerlessness of the demons. Okay? They encounter Jesus. They don't fight. They just surrender. And they're just begging. They're grasping at straws. They, they recognize that Jesus has the power in himself to just banish them forever, to just end their existence. He could do that right then, right there. He could cast them into the lake of fire, which is their ultimate fate. He could do that. He has that authority. The demons know it. And so they're grasping at straws. They're saying, just do, please don't hurt us. Don't, don't send us out of here. So just, the pigs, the pigs, send us, just put us in the pigs. Just anything besides throwing us into the lake of fire, which we deserve. Now, now, so Jesus agrees. Again, you have to ask the question, well, why would he agree to do that? And again, there's multiple explanations. I think the best ones are that, uh, that first of all, it hasn't come time yet for him to completely defeat the demons and Satan. Like He's still in the midst of his ministry. He hasn't gotten to that point yet. But also, I think this is a powerful, visible sign for everyone watching what's actually going on. Okay? This, this becomes clear if you imagine what the scene would look like if the pigs weren't involved. So if Jesus just encounters this demon-possessed man and he has the, the, the exorcism and the demons leave, then all the people come up later and they see the guy, you know, he's, he's clothed, he's in his right mind. There's a lot of possible explanations that they could come up with. They can say, well, um, maybe Jesus is just a good counselor and he helped this guy work through his issues and now, look, it's, he's fine. Or, or maybe this guy was just pretending and, and Jesus came and, and then it was like a big setup and Jesus... Uh, you know, he, they, they'd worked it out so that the guy would pretend to be crazy until Jesus showed up, and then he'd, pretend, he'd be sane again, and everybody would be amazed. You know, there's, there's a variety of scenarios like that you could spin out. But when you've got these pigs on the mountainside, that, that right after Jesus casts out the demons from this man, all of a sudden these pigs that are over there, this herd of pigs, just crazily runs into the sea to their death, that, that, that raises the stakes a little bit. People have to, to factor in, what is it that caused those pigs to go into the sea? Like, that's crazy. Why would that happen? And you say, well, that happened right when Jesus cast the demons out of this guy. Now this guy is sane, and it just testifies to the powerful supernatural forces that were in this man. Now, now there's no mistaking him. That stuff that sent the pigs into the sea, that's what was tormenting this person, and Jesus is stronger than that. You just can't miss it. And they don't miss it. Uh, the herdsmen, obviously, they're, they're out 2,000 pigs. And so they go and they tell the people in the city what's happened. Everybody wants to find out about this, this, this crazy guy who is now sane and these pigs who are now dead. What's going on? So in verses, um, you know, verses four, uh, 15 through 17, we see that the people respond, like the disciples did before, with great fear. Uh, Verses 15, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So just like the disciples, Jesus encounters a great storm. He brings a great calm. Now this, this guy's just sitting there. He's clothed. He's just, he's just relaxing. He's a normal-looking person. Nothing to be afraid of anymore. The storm has been stilled. And yet after that, the people fear a great fear. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, 
and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why would they be afraid? After this demon-possessed man was made calm, you don't have to be afraid of him anymore. You don't even have to bind him with chains. He's just he's normal now. He's clothed. He's just sitting there. They're not afraid of the demon-possessed man. They're afraid of Jesus. Because like the disciples, they're asking, who could do such a thing? None of us could bind this guy. And, and it says they told him about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they're like, and by the way, this guy who's got all this power, he just sent 2,000 pigs to their death. You know, frankly, I'm not sure we want him around anymore. Who knows what he's going to do next? Because we don't know if he really loves us. We know he's got great power, but we don't know if he's going to use it for our good. So they beg him to leave. But if we keep reading, we finally find someone who responds the right way. Instead of fear, this healed man had faith. In verse 18, it says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. See, this demon-possessed man, he'd been through the same things the other folks had, um, in a sense. I mean, he's a party of these events. He's seen and experienced Jesus use his great power to cast the demons out of him and into the pigs. But he's not afraid of Jesus like everybody else is. He's not afraid of Jesus because he's convinced experientially that Jesus uses that great power for his good. And so this guy can't get enough of Jesus. He wants to be in the boat with him. He wants to go with him wherever he goes. I don't care where you're going. I just want to be with you, Jesus, because you have incredible power. No one else could help me, but you did. Use that power for good, for my good, to bless me. Jesus doesn't let him go because he's got a mission for him, and he tells him in verse 19... Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And do you see how that's got those two parts in it there? Uh, the first part, tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them the absolute power, the awesome power of Jesus, how much he has done for you. But then that second part, how he has had mercy on you, that he's used his power for your good, that he loves you. And so he went away and began to proclaim to all the people in the surrounding region how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Okay. Now these are really good and fun stories. Like these, these are good ones to tell your kids. They're exciting. There's a great struggle and drama and, and victory. Um, but they're not just in the Bible because, uh, because they're interesting stories. Right? They're here to edify us, to help us in our own storms. And so I want to wrap up today just by giving you some time to reflect on where you fit in these stories. Right? Jesus conquered the natural storm. He conquered the supernatural storm. Now what about you and, and Jesus in your storms? Right? Because uh, we're all here today with some sort of storms in our life. Right? You, you've got a storm. You know, here's, here's a question in your outline. What is your great storm? Um, you got a pencil, you need to write it down. Like just, just name that. What, what is it that's going on in your life right now like that you're anxious about or that you feel uh, worried about? You feel like if this, if this thing doesn't happen the right way, then I'm going down, right? Or this, 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 this fear, this concern. It could, be a, a, it could be a really great big storm. It might be a low-level thing, but just what is it in your life right now that you feel like this is my storm, this is where I'm at? So here's the good news from, from our text today. Right? 
no matter how big your problems are, they are not as big as these problems that Jesus took out without working up a sweat. And I'm not saying that to minimize your problems. I'm saying that to maximize the power of Jesus. Right? You're, you have great storms. Your storms are great. I know some of your storms. They are overwhelming for us as people, but they're not overwhelming for Jesus. Right? That's the point. He stood up and he, he calmed a, a hurricane by telling it to be quiet. Right? It wasn't hard. It's not like, oh, at the, at the utmost end of his ability, he can calm a storm. It's like before breakfast he can calm a storm. You know, he, he yawns and he can make the he make the, the, the winds cease. Right? It's just not hard for him. It, it wasn't hard for him to encounter a man with thousands of demons coming up. It, it was so not hard for him that the demon-possessed man recognized it wouldn't be a fight and he just gave up at the beginning. Jesus just stood there and he conquered thousands of demons. He can handle your problem. Right? He's got that power. It is so much bigger than the problems you have. And again, not to minimize your problems, but to maximize the power of Jesus. The, the question, though, that we still have after we encounter that truth is, okay, he might have that power, but like the disciples, we ask, teacher, do you care that we're perishing? He's got the power. We, we could conceptually agree that Jesus can handle my storm, but does he want to? Is he going to? Or do I still have to work it out on my own? Like, it's great he's got that power, but if he leaves me alone, it really doesn't matter. So the second question, how does Jesus bring calm to your storm? And I just want to remind us again, it, it, it all goes back to the gospel. It all goes back to what Jesus has already done for you. And in a way, we could still ask, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? The evidence is there of Jesus' power and his love for you. Just look at the cross. Right? You know, we ask Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And he says, yes, I care so much that I actually perished in your place. If you want to know if Jesus loves you, look at the gospel. Look at the fact that, that by rights... Uh, we should actually be like that demon-possessed man coming up to Jesus and, and just begging him not to hurt us, right? By rights, you and I are enemies of God. All we deserve is to be cast out from his presence forever. But he didn't do that to us, right? He gave himself for us on the cross to die in our place to liberate us from that. He took our storm on himself that we might have calm. And he's already done that for the greatest storm in the world, the, storm, the, the, the sin problem that we had separating us from God and condemning us to hell. He took that, right? So argument from the greater to the lesser. If he's done that for you, then he'll take care of you in the little storms that we have, even if they are relatively big. Uh, that's the exact promise that Paul makes in Romans 8.32. He says, um, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Jesus has incredible power, and because of what he's demonstrated on the cross, we can know that he uses that power for our good. We are ones like the demoniac who have seen what the Lord has done for us and how he has had mercy on us. Having begun to have mercy on you, he's not going to stop. So the question for us, if we put ourselves in the story, uh, number three there, well, how are we going to respond? 
we could respond with fear, not really believing that he's got this love for us, that he's going to take care of us, or we can respond with faith. Fear says, I can't trust God. He might not care. I've got to take all the worry and anxiety on myself. And, and do you understand, every time that we worry, every time that we have um, this, this, this paralyzing fear and anxiety, that's us responding in fear. That's us saying, I don't really believe that Jesus loves me. Okay? I'm not saying every time you do that, you lose your salvation. Don't hear that. But I'm saying every time you do that, you're forfeiting the benefits that are yours as an adopted son and daughter of God. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. We can respond with faith. This faith, this belief that God is powerful and loving. Okay. So some some practical things that you can just. I want to give you some verses that you can write down and take with you this week because this is a hard struggle. It's not like oh okay thanks pastor preaches great sermon uh, or even mediocre sermon whatever it was pastor preaches sermon and now the light switch flipped and okay now I've got faith all the time. No, that's not how it works, right? We go out from here and and we have our ups and downs. We have fear and faith. But we hold on to the truths of Scripture and these promises of God and we take them to heart and we, we pray them and we believe them and it's a lifelong struggle and growth process, but, but we need things to hold on to. Okay? So I want to give you a few passages that you can just write down and you can go to for your, um, for your storm. You can say, this is how I can have faith in this storm. Um, first of all, two, two great passages that tell us the promises of God. One of them is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and many of you will be familiar with this, but just because you're familiar with it doesn't mean you don't need it. Uh, that's sometimes when we need it the most. Where Jesus promises that we don't need to be anxious about tomorrow, uh, because just as God clothes the bird, feeds the birds and clothes the flowers of the, of the field, he loves us more than that, and he will provide for us. Okay, so that's one that you can cling to. Read that. Have faith in the power and love of Jesus. Uh, another one, uh, just a, a, a verse, Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. And that little verse comes within, in the midst of a giant chapter that's well worth reading. But that, that verse is this promise that for those who love God, he works all things for their good. It's a tremendous promise. You, that, that's one that I just cling to. That's my safety line. When everything else I can't think, you know, I, I just feel overwhelmed. I just believe that promise that Jesus is working all things for my good. Though I can't see it, though the individual, event, individual events themselves might not be good, God is working them for my good, and he's got great power and love for me. Okay, so hold on to those promises, and then something else that we need to do then is pray those concerns to God so two great passages for that. The first one is 1 Peter 5.17. Or sorry, 1 Peter 5.7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7. And it's just right there. You've got anxieties, you've got burdens. Cast them on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. And then Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay? And this is the nuts and bolts of the Christian life here, folks. 
great promises of God. He loves us. He has power. He cares for us. When we feel anxious, we cling to those promises. We pray them back to God and we ask him for peace. And he brings calm in the midst of our storms. The one who calmed the natural storm, the one who calmed the supernatural storm, is present for you in the midst of your storm. And my prayer for you this week has been that you would turn to him in faith this week. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in these great promises. We cling to them. Help us to cling to them. Help us to encourage one another to cling to them, to believe them. As we pray to you, Lord, would you give us peace that surpasses understanding, that just doesn't make sense to the world watching because they don't know that you have all this power and that you do love us, but we know that. And we want to rest in that today. So with the anxieties and the worries that we have, Lord, we give them to you and pray that you in return would give us this gracious gift of peace. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.